Kim. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. We need as much money as we can. This is the Press Box. The age difference on this show. With Grady and Bischoff. I'm glad you're the one that went in on the details of how my No, works. come on, I'm feral. Love Cody Bellinger. Oh, oh my favorite confidence. player of all time. Oh, what a, what a player. Cody Bellinger. Oh, boy. All year. I, I, I knew postseason, you know, he'd come through. Oh. <laughs> you, did you want him in the lineup yesterday? <laughs> no. <laughs> Go to the first bite because I got a great story if you're on Cody Bellinger. The first bite. Did Cody Bellinger save the Dodgers season? So he comes up with two on, and I'm sitting there watching with Bonnie, and I'm just disgusted. I'm like, there's no chance. It's over. Uh, this kid. And then he actually swung through a slider uh, because he missed it by 14 feet like he, uh, like he usually does. And right before the pitch, she's like, she's like, you're not positive. You're never positive about this guy. What's wrong? I said, this, this bum has absolutely no chance to do anything. The pitch was on its way, and he hit that thing 390 feet. And I said, I love this guy because he's rounding the bases, my hands in the air, as he tied the game up within like. And the guy, he must have, the pitch was on its way. And anything you do, I don't know how Bellinger caught up to it because he hasn't caught up to anything in months, but uh, he catches up to it and, it was just, what a moment. Glorious. Game-tying three-run home run <laughs> in the eighth <laughs> inning when the Dodgers offense hadn't scored since the first. Does anyone get a hit but Mookie anymore? No. Is he the only one who hits the ball? Uh, here's what's amazing about that. Uh, stat courtesy of Andrew Simon. Cody Ballinger versus 95-plus mile-an-hour pitches. In the regular season, he was 8 for 56 with one home run. In the postseason, he is now 3 for 5 with one home run. Yeah. He could not hit hard-thrown fastballs. No. He couldn't do it in the regular. It's, the, it's one of the biggest reasons why he hit, what did he hit, 165? It's one of the biggest reasons why he hit 165 and was one of the worst hitters in baseball is because if you could throw over 95, you could just throw it straight past Cody Bellinger, and he's at, he's got three hits in the postseason on those pitches, and that yeah. game-time home run, and hell, it was like up at his chin, too. Like, it wasn't exactly no idea in the how strike he got up to it. Yeah. yeah. So... That is a massive turnaround for Bellinger to go. Basically, his biggest weakness in the regular season in terms of pitch selection from the other team is now the things he's hitting. I don't know how with that looping swing. I'm serious because I remember the year, obviously, how he won the MVP. Because that looping swing, he just I don't know how he catches up to anything. And I have no idea how he did it yesterday as I'm screaming at him uh, for disliking him until he hit it. Then he became my favorite player. <laughs> Uh, fair weathered here for sure, but seriously, he's got that looping swing. So I just was just throwing sliders all day. I don't, I don't know why. Well, maybe threw him the fastball because the scouting report said he hit one sixty five <laughs> against ninety five plus. So we were like, yeah, maybe I had to throw this. Um, save the season for another day. I mean, you know, if they go down three zero, I don't care how good they are, that thing's over. So yeah, save the season for a day. Do you believe now? I no. told you yesterday they're coming back to no. win the series. Can you no. believe? No. Come on, Ed. No. Have some faith in your team. Who's pitching today? Urias against the bullpen. Oh, that's right. Urias is back. Yeah. Oh, they did the other. Well, he's, he's got a chance because he's actually starting the game and not going into the eighth. It's 2-2. It's all over. It's <laughs> okay. all over. All right. All right. And Urias gets it to 2-2, and it's done for. Dodgers. Then, it, then it's Scherzer. Yeah, yeah it's over. <laughs> okay. this, is, this is nothing for the Dodgers.
Obviously, with your team last night, it might be the Dodgers and the Astros if you're thinking oh, down that road. Very excited. Very yeah. excited. Yes. I mean, I want the Braves to win for the sake of the Astros winning the World Series, but for the sake of content on this show, Dodgers-Astros will be amazing. Yes, it'll, it'll be, be amazing. incredible. It'll be By the way, are we Dodgers-Braves? I mean, it's three games into the series. We watch it like one of the best series yes. ever. Yes. Like we got the Braves have two walk-off hits. The Dodgers win it in the bottom of the eighth. Yeah. And obviously you got to get the outs in the ninth. But like this is this is one of the best postseason series we've ever seen so far. Three straight games where the winners had their last at bats. Yeah. It's amazing. It's a it's great incredible. series. Yeah. Like it's, it's, a great series. it's unbelievable that every game is has been close and that mm-hmm. teams have come through in the late innings to actually win the game. It's been a great series. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I don't know if I'd enjoy it if I were you, but I've thoroughly enjoyed it. <laughs> been great uh so not only do you have cody bellinger hit the game tying home run kenley jansen struck out the struck side, out the of the side nine. against by the way uh riley pearl guy by the way jocktober jock okay i liked jock news with the dodgers he's got a little off off kilter here with the pearls and the hair and everything uh i think he's a good player but yeah he came in and strikes out the side i man i was gripping then because that was a good part of their lineup um thank god freeman had been away the previous inning so uh yeah, that was a good part of their lineup. I was gripping. I was no gripping. chance against Kenley coming in to shut it down. When it got to two strikes on each one, close the eyes. Couldn't watch. Close the eyes. <laughs> close the eyes. Close the eyes. Couldn't Would he watch. just listen for the play-by-play yes, guy to tell yes, you? Yes, yes, And he struck out the side. So, I, I, I had this observation the other night. How lucky is it that... His team isn't playing on Fox Sports 1, and he doesn't have to follow that weird, like, Simon machine for the dots coming up on the in the bottom right-hand corner. What? Have You, you mean, like, on the strikes balls? Yeah. like They have that the, on TBS. No, I'm saying, like, it actually looks correct, though, where oh. on Fox Sports 1, it looks like they designed it, like, in some sort of postmodern lab, and it looks really weird. Well, I have no idea what we're talking about. Okay. What are we talking about? I'll show I you. talking about the graphic on the strikes. Yeah, the balls graphic on the strikes the ball ball comes ball in, in Fox Sports in. One for the strikes and balls, or for yeah, the scoreboard. For, well, no, for the guys on base and for oh. the strikes and balls. Oh, it's Fox is worse. Yeah, it's yes, like it's tilted at like yes. a forty degree angle. Yes. Yeah, it looks fine. You know what's happening. Is there a runner on first, second, or third? It's not that hard to figure out. He'd be fine. Um, not with my eyes closed. <laughs> well, you can't see anything with your eyes closed. Okay, so, you heard it here first. Here. You know who lost the game for the Braves? I'm trying to think who you would say. Uh, I know you're not going to say the 95 mile an hour pitch. No, no, that's a great pitch. The guy can't hit that. (laughs) Throw it again. Third base coach, Ron Washington. Uh, I don't remember what inning it was, but the the Braves loaded up the bases Mm -hmm. and their eight hitter Mm -hmm. hits it on the ground. Chris Taylor at shortstop kind of misplays it. It wasn't right. really an easy play, but misplays it and it rolls it into, into left, left field. field. Yes. One run scores and Ron Washington, for some reason, holds the runner yep. coming from second would have scored easily. Guy was around third before mm-hmm. Taylor even picked up the ball, like would have been an easy run. But for some reason, Ron Washington throws up his hands to tell him to go back to third and not come around to score. The nine hitter is the pitcher spot. Now here's, here's what's interesting. When the eight hitter was up, the Braves had a pinch hitter standing in the on deck circle to hit for Charlie Morton. Right. After that scored a run, they let Charlie Morton hit. And I wonder if Ron Washington, the third base coach for the Braves, if he had known, if if he was confused, if he thought, hey, there's a pinch hitter coming up, 
let's leave the bases loaded and let him do some damage or versus, Hey, the pitcher's up. I better get as many runs home as I can right now. I wonder if his own manager faked him out by putting a guy in the on deck circle, because then Charlie Morton comes up with one out, doesn't even swing the bat. They were horrified. That was the that was the best thing. He just stood there with the bat on his shoulder. They were horrified. He was going to yeah. do a double play, which is stupid, but they were horrified of it. And then the leadoff hitter Rosario didn't get a hit with right. two outs. And that was the end of the inning. Like brave should have definitely had one more run and potentially more. And the dugout was not happy. If you looked in the faces, facial expressions of the coaching staff, they were not happy with Ronnie Debbie. It was, it was, a, it wasn't even like it was going to be a close play. This wasn't like, Oh, like Mookie Betts can throw guys out. Mookie Betts has a great arm. It wasn't like, Oh, you're testing Mookie Betts on a questionable sin. Right. Taylor hadn't even gotten to the ball. This is a shortstop right. running away from home, having to pick it up and then turn and throw it. Like it was an easy run. Like regardless of who was coming up next, they would have scored another run. So completely blew it. Cause that's a cost the team a run and potentially cost them a bigger inning because maybe somebody else gets a hit after that. Maybe the Braves actually do pinch hit or something, but like absolutely the, the biggest like coaching mistake or biggest error of that game was the third base coach, not sending the runner home. Ron Washington thinking about his next role in Moneyball too. <laughs> he was in that. What was well, No, someone played Ron. Washington. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, someone played him. Um, the other thing that I find funny, and this happened last year in the postseason too, the amount of conversation that goes around the shadows during day games in the playoffs. Oh, that's all they talk about. It's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah that's and all they talk about. And it happened last year at, at Petco right. and Dodger Stadium too, because that's where most of the Western uh, or most of the American League was played. It it blows me away that a we like have games and they schedule them during the day, so there's no overlap. It's kind of stupid, but b that that's all the announcers can talk about. As soon as there's a shadow on the field, it's like it. it's like nothing else in the game matters. And that's actually the the inning that had the shadows was the inning the Braves had a big inning and, and loaded the bases and scored multiple runs. Like, it didn't bother the Braves at all. And that was also the inning um, Gavin Lux dropped that ball at the wall in center field. Which, again, Doc having him out there, not not an outfielder, just totally <laughs> losing the ball, worried about the fence. Uh, just, they, they just, they, they win in spite. They win in spite they of the Docker. They win in spite of the Docker. <laughs> How about you the other day? He's going to make the Hall of Fame. He is. He is. Why wouldn't he? <laughs> Nine straight, eight straight division titles, World Series, yeah. His record's got to be like one of the best, right? Win percentage. Oh, it has to be. Hey, win yeah. eight straight division titles. Yeah, it's it's got to be. I mean, granted, it's regular season success, but in baseball, we put a lot more credit to regular season success than pretty much any other sport. He's absolutely going to do it, no doubt about it. The guys, the, the Dodgers can't lose the division until this year. But I they can't lose the division. I won't be watching. What? The rest of the series? <laughs> no, when he's inducted. Oh. I, won't be, I won't be watching that. What, are you going to be yelling at him? Yes. <laughs> yeah, bring Urias in again, you bum. <laughs> yes, you bum. With my eyes closed as I hear him accepting. Keep putting Bellinger in the line. Oh, he hit the home run. Good job. Good job, dude. <laughs> Hands in the air. Good job. That, that worked guy. out. That worked out well oh. for us. Thank you for that. All right. Coming up next, we'll get into the Raiders because they got a new cornerback. Is Tyler a know-it-all? Can you prove him wrong? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678. 
Yeah, I think that's Coach Marinelli and Coach Bradley. It's constant about not only do the sacks come in bunches, but the turnovers come in bunches. You know, we went a few weeks without a turnover. All of a sudden, we come up in a plus-four category. Multiple sack uh, game that Max went through. And then the big sack in the fourth quarter by Q was actually big help to us as well. And if you look at the games that they're running, you, you can't – discard what Yannick's doing on the outside. He, he takes a lot of attention. So I think it's it's their group. It's Coach Marinelli. It's Coach Bradley. Everything comes in bunches, right? So we, um, I think they're just kind of living off of that and feeding off of that. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Turnovers come in bunches. It's not good. They got them all in one game. They might need to save some. I've never, bananas. I've never heard that line. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, once you get one turnover, you can't stop. No, you can't. Teddy Bridgewater just keeps throwing it right to Jonathan <laughs> Abram for the rest of the game. As soon as you get one, they're just going to keep peppering straight at Jonathan Abram. Um, all right. Some roster news because the Raiders made a signing. They signed Desmond Trufant, 31-year-old cornerback, who... He played two games with New Orleans this year, but was released. Uh, He spent most of his career with Atlanta, was a pretty solid cornerback for Atlanta, but he's 31 now, so a little bit up there in age for a cornerback. Um, I think the more interesting part about the Desmond Trufant signing is what it means for other guys on the roster because Trayvon Mullen is hurt, Damon Arnett is hurt, so... The Raiders started the game against Denver with Casey Hayward, who's been one of the best corners in the league at one side, and Amik Robertson starting on the outside at corner. Amik Robertson quickly got benched. He only played 16% of the snaps. And Brandon, did you want to say Brandon's last name? Faison? Is it Faison? Faison. Okay. Yeah. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's spelled very weird. Brandon Faison played 73% of the snaps taking over for him. So they signed Desmond Trufant. This guy's starting for the Raiders? Well, he might be until others come back. I mean, well, depending on how Arnett plays when he comes back, he might be starting yeah. anyway. He's a former pro bowler. I don't mind it. Um, look, I just think they've seen – I don't know if they've seen enough, but they've seen a lot of Amik Robertson, and it's not working out on that end. So, yeah, he gets in today. What's today? Wednesday. I don't know if he's starting on Sunday, but I bet he plays on Sunday. Yeah. He's, I mean, he was uh, played two games with the Saints, so – Probably be in decent shape. So just to give you some pro football focus numbers here. So Casey Hayward's the number one graded cornerback in all of the mm-hmm. NFL by pro football focus. His actual grade is an 82.7. That's his his grade for the year. Uh, Nate Hobbs, who's the slot corner for the Raiders, he has a 77.8 grade. He's had a very good season. Trayvon Mullen, who's hurt, 69.4. He's in the top 30, solid. Uh, but after that, Amik Robertson's grade is a 36.3, which is 117th out of 118 cornerbacks. And then Damon Arnett has not played enough snaps to actually qualify in their rankings, but his grade is worse than Amik Robertson's. So between Arnett and Amik Robertson, the Raiders have two of probably like the five worst cornerbacks in the NFL. Again, Damon Arnett is hurt. I would have to imagine until Trayvon Mullen comes back, Desmond Trufant yeah. walks into a starting right. job. Like, And again, you're right. It might not be... This Sunday, but he's going to play, I assume, because there's nothing Amik Robertson's doing that would keep this guy off the no. field. And even Faison, 57.9 grade, he's only played like 60 snaps or something on the year. So that's not really a big sample size, but like, it's still not great. I, 
Desmond Trufant, I almost think, is... is by, by the end of that game, we might be seeing Desmond Trufant on the field the entire I was time. I say, Desmond, we don't know if we can play. You haven't been in very much. Four plays in. Desmond, you're in. <laughs> uh, Desmond, you're not coming off the field. Coach, I, I don't know half the play calls. It's yeah, fine. It's okay. You'll be Just better. Go. You'll be better than everybody else. Just go cover the guy on the outside. Pick a guy. Yeah, cover exactly. him. Pick a guy and cover him. What's amazing about the Raiders is that they have such high variance... When it comes to like player performance right. this year, on this, at the same position, right? Like they like at corner again. They have the number one corner in the league by PFF, and then Amik Robertson is second to last, and Damon Arnett would be last. He'd be if, around if there. he was, yeah. qual- if he had played enough snaps. And they also have Nate Hobbs as top five. Like at corner, they've got two of the best and two of the absolute worst. Yeah. And then you look around the roster, like Crosby's in the top five as an edge rusher, but then the, on the flip side, the offensive line has like three guys that are the in the bottom, bottom five. five of their position. It's it's crazy how high variance they are this year where some guys are being have been awesome and some guys are just like, how are they surviving with right. that type of play? It's it's incredible. Like it's it's incredible they've been able to get to this four and two record well, despite having some of the terrible play. They would argue that they don't trust pro football focus. That's and that true. They're much better than what well, pro here's football the thing. focus says it is. If you don't trust pro football focus, you can't really give Casey Hayward any compliments either. It's true. Like, can't say he's like, the best corner in football. Right. You can't say, I think Max Crosby might be the number one edge rusher yeah. again, too. Like, you can't say, yeah, he is. Like, if you don't trust him, you don't trust him. And you right. can't, yeah. can't take the good unless You're you right. take the bad. Not great. So, ooh, and Gakwe's fallen to 39th among edge rushers. He was just like eighth or something like a couple games ago. It's not good. Was he not good on Sunday? I don't know. Rich Bisacci just said he was good. Yeah. Said he takes up him. a lot of, a uh, lot of attention. Oh boy. This is sounding like <laughs> Cleveland furl excuses, isn't it? Like, Oh, we know he hasn't produced anything, but he's Max he's, is good. He the, does the, things you, you don't Yannick's see. Taking up a lot of attention. He, he does things you don't see. Listen, <laughs> if you're the, if you're the Eagles or any team that's about to play the Raiders, I think Max Crosby deserves your attention, not right. Yannick and Gakwe right. exactly. at this point. Exactly. Like, like if we have, let, let's say we have a game against the Eagles and Crosby has just like zero pressures or whatever, and Ngakwe has like five or six, and we look back and it's like, well, they doubled Crosby the entire yeah. game. Then you're like, all right, that makes sense. But don't tell me Ngakwe's getting all the attention. If he is, then all these teams are stupid so far. Crosby's been awesome. What are you talking about? Double team that guy instead. You got to leave the tight end to block that guy instead. All right. Changing gears a little bit to go talk about John Gruden. Yeah. Maybe that'll stop one day. But Ian Rappaport reported that Gruden was still owed $40 million over the last five years of his contract. So that's not this season. That doesn't include this season, but that includes the next five years after this one. Had Gruden still been the head coach, his 10-year, $100 million contract, apparently he was getting $60 million in the first five years, $40 million in the back five. Um According to Ian Rappaport, they are still working on a settlement as to how much John Gruden is going to get paid. Here's my question from it. Why did Mark Davis allow John Gruden to resign if he was still going to end up paying him? You mean without firing him? Yes. Because firing that's him what, with cause because of the email. Because when we talked about this and I was like, well, why didn't Mark Davis just fire right. John Gruden? One of the arguments is, well, if he resigns, you don't have to pay him the rest of the contract. Maybe he doesn't pay him the full $40 million, but if they're might working make, on a might settlement. Pay him 20. Why? Why? What was, yeah. if you're fired, I mean, I feel like fire, you could fire him with cause. If the, if it says in his contract anything about morality. And then, chal- and then challenge him on the money. Yeah. Like, why did he let why did he yeah. let him resign if he's going to still end up paying him? Like you let him resign because you're not paying him anymore. And I can understand that. It's still 
looks bad from a, you know, terminology standpoint for Mark Davis, but hey, let him resign and I don't have to pay $40 million. Cool. But if you let him resign and you still end up paying him $20 million, $30 million, whatever this ends up being, what what was the point? I I want to say the point is, while he disagreed with the emails, which he said, he still has a great affinity for the guy. I really think he does. Yeah. I really think we saw what happened when they hired him and how emotional he got and throughout the years that he was here, how much he said, you know, he loved him and that he's handling all football operations. I trust him. John's going to turn it around. So maybe they sat down in an office and discussed it and he allowed him to resign. I, and if you're telling me he'll pay him 10 to 20, like I won't blink at that either. I don't know what the settlement would be. It's going to be millions. If he's old 40, he's not going to settle for half a million. He's going to get a lot of money. How much different does this play out if the head coach was like Jack Del Rio still in terms of the way well, Mark Davis is handled? It would. <laughs> It would play out a lot because I was in the room when Jack Del Rio came in and said, Mark Davis just fired me. So that, that was a little different than this uh, right after the game, by the way. He didn't even let him get to the locker room. But, like, the idea that Mark Davis has an affinity for John Gruden, right? Like, this plays out much differently if it's pretty much any other coach, right? Oh, no question about that. I, I'm trying to think, if, and you can help me, an owner who's been so outwardly uh, opinionated about his love for a coach. I mean, I'm sure there are. I can't think off the top of my head. So, yeah, if it's just a regular coach, if it's just Jack Del Rio and he doesn't win enough, or, or especially if he has these kind of emails, that would have been an easy decision. I just think he thinks of this guy as a brother, and he's going to help him out with the settlement. Not that someone who's made this much money needs much help, but you know what I mean, yeah, right. that he's not going to just let him walk away for nothing. Apparently, I already got $60 million from the last <laughs> no, four well, years. <laughs> 20 more for my yeah, brother. Apparently. All right, coming up next, Bryce Hamilton of UNLV Basketball joins the show. Want to be part of the show? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678 and leave your opinion. Bryce comes into the lane. Rice all the way under, lays it up and in. So the lead back to four, under a minute to go. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas, 1100 AM and 100.9 FM. Joining us now from UNLV Basketball is Bryce Hamilton. Good morning, Bryce. How hey, are Bryce. you today? What's up, man? Good morning. How you doing? Good. Good. Um, so I'm curious, before we look ahead to this year, you uh, – had quite the process this summer. You put your name in the NBA draft. What was that process like for you? Uh, it was a good process, you know, just to go through that whole little deal, you know, try and get to the NBA. Um, you know, I felt like I got much better this summer and uh, I progressed a lot. What did, what did you learn most about your game, Bryce? A lot of times you get feedback. Most of the times you get feedback from teams and they say, okay, if you go back, do this and this, uh, this is where we want to see you grow. What did they say to you about your game, and, and what have you worked on in the uh, in the offseason going into this one uh, off that feedback? Uh, the main thing is, you know, uh, be, being able to be a consistent shooter. You know, uh, you know, so let's say if I go to the NBA, you know, I'm not going to be a, a person that, you know, always has the ball in my hand. So being that, just being a good catch-and-shoot shooter and just showing that I'm able to shoot is something that uh, – was the huge feedback and you know that's something that I've definitely been working on this summer I've just been locked in the gym and just shooting how much does uh, your coaching staff there like Kevin Kruger and the guys how much are they you know involved with hey let's help Bryce Hamilton work on a certain part of his game because that's what NBA scouts gave him his feedback oh no yeah the coaches are very bought in here you know they uh, they help me 
not not just me, also my teammates. You know, they're they're very invested in all of us and want us to get better so we can all reach our goals. You know, often a leader like you of a team knows a lot of guys coming back. You understand what's expected of you or expected of them. You can kind of step forward and say, okay, I'm the leader, but all of you guys know what is expected. You have a lot of new faces this year. Uh, still being the leader of that team, how has that gone? Because you're probably trying to take a lot of guys through, look, this is what happens at UNLV. This is what is expected. So how's been the feedback from other guys as you try to lead them? Uh, it's been real good. You know, we got a very good core over here, you know, um, we got a lot of older players here. We got a lot of players that have been on winning teams, and you know they know what it takes to be uh, be able to win. And you know, they, not me just helping them. They you know they help me. And, you know we all hold each other accountable, and and you know that's what's best about this team. All right, help us out. It's a lot of new guys. We haven't really gotten to see them. So who's let's let's go through a, be, a couple of superlatives here. Who's the best shooter on this roster? The best shooter on this roster. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like we got a lot of pretty good shooters, so that, that, I feel like that would be something for you guys had to decide. <laughs> All right, we'll figure that out. All right. Well, hold on. You should have said yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Always start with yourself. Um, I think I know the answer to this because I saw him almost hit his head on the rim at a practice. Donovan Williams, best dunker? Mm, yeah, I agree. He has, he, yeah, he has bounce, a lot of bounce. Has he actually hit his head on the rim yet in a practice? Um, I don't think so, but yeah, he'd be pretty close. He probably has to duck his head sometimes, but yeah, he yeah he he could jump high. Best defender. The best defender. Hmm, we're we're a pretty good defensive team. Uh, I'm not sure about that one either. Who is the funniest? The funniest. Uh, well, I had to go with the freshman for this one. Uh, Keyshawn. He's a he's a very funny kid. Very outgoing. And yeah, he he definitely lights up for everybody. That seems that seems like a surprise that the freshman would be the one to walk into a, a, a like you said a bunch of older guys, veteran guys, and he's the funniest one. No, nah, yeah, yeah, he, he's very confident, and you know he he likes to talk a little smack, and yeah, he's a, he's a very funny guy. Okay, so I think I know this, but the best social media personality, given I did a column on him. <laughs> Before, right, right when he got there, and he appeared to have a really good grasp of Instagram and other social media tactics. Oh, that's easily Jordan McKay. You know? <laughs> He's been a, a YouTube sensation since yeah, I was probably in sixth grade. We all used to probably watch him, so yeah, it's definitely Jordan. How many things has Jordan McKay posted on TikTok or YouTube that you guys make fun of him for? A lot. <laughs> we'd be like, we'd like sometimes we'd be in a group chat like, Jordan, what is that? Like, come on now. <laughs> but sometimes, sometimes we'll hop in a video a couple times too. Who is the loudest on the team? The loudest on the team, I'll say Victor. All right, Victor oh. Ewoker. Okay, is right. is Michael Nuga up there? Yeah, Mike is definitely up there. They might be a 1A, 1B. Uh, when you're making the decision and the NBA is giving you this uh, feedback, how comfortable was it that you already knew Kevin Kruger and that they gave him the job? And other than, hey, we're going to bring in this new coach and maybe you didn't know who this person was, you're like, all right, I'm, I'm just going to take my chance and, and, and move on. Like, how big of a difference did Kevin Kruger getting the job have in your decision? Oh, no, it was a huge difference because, you know, um, when Coach Kruger first got here, even when he was like an assistant, we always had like a good uh, relationship. So when I heard that he was going to become the head coach, it uh, it made it made UNLV like much easier. You know, very like really consider staying here. Um, so yeah, that was pretty much it.
Bryce, we need somebody to look this up, but I have to imagine you're one of the few players in college basketball that stayed with the same program through three different head coaches. I'm wondering like what it's been like from your standpoint to see that much turnover from the head coaching spot at this school. Um, you know, I just, you know, try to, you know, just be able to, you know, control what I control, you know, things happen and, you know, I love UNLV. I love being here. I love this community. And so, you know, I just stay the course, you know, me and Marv, you know, we have definitely showed our loyalty here and, you know, we appreciate UNLV a lot. One of the reasons uh, Kevin said uh, after the first practice uh, of your return is you really wanted to go to the NSA tournament. Um, for a player who I'm sure has watched March his whole life, uh, to get that taste, to get that feeling, what would it mean to you? How, how big a deal is it? Because people say, okay, you want to go to the NBA, and that's kind of the long-term goal of pretty much every player, even though it doesn't happen for every player. But the NSA tournament's a very special thing. How much? How badly do you want it, and, and why? Uh, you know, it's a it's just a great opportunity to be in, and you know uh, that's something that I want to experience in my my college life. And you know, I feel like we have a, a good possibility of being able to do that. You know, um, of course, it's going to take hard work. There's going to be a lot of ups and downs, but I think we have a very good chance here to do that. And you know, it'd be huge to be able to make the tournament. What do you like about this team that's going to be different from the past couple of years that could get you guys into the NCAA tournament? Um, I like, you know, we, we got a lot of athleticism and, um, I say we have a lot of depth, you know, um, we're going to have a pretty good rotation where guys come in and out and we have a lot of like dogs, killers on this team, you know, that don't, we, you know, like practice is very competitive, you know, nobody's very nice to each other. There's no friends on the court and, you know, everybody ha- pretty much has that mentality and that's what I like so much about this team. How does Bryce Hamilton become a better defensive player? Uh, <laughs> that's, um, I'll be better this year for sure. Uh, you know, my teammates push me, my coaches push me and, you know, I'm push myself. So it's going to be a very different year. Uh, apparently Kevin Kruger played the same song on loop for like an entire <laughs> practice earlier. Um, yeah. and it, it was, it was because you guys weren't doing well switching on ball screens. I'm curious your thoughts on that, uh, would you consider that punishment, having to listen to the same song over and over? Oh, uh, yeah, it was definitely punishment. Uh, <laughs> it was, I think it was by Will Smith. I'm like, can you please turn this off? Because like, <laughs> we, we, we understand, we get it now. <laughs> has, has he done that again, or is it just the one day playing the same song over and over? Um, yeah, we've been doing better, so I mean, yeah, he, he has stopped. You guys play some uh, big-time teams. You're like, what, what are you looking forward to most? And really, in the Mountain West, are there teams that – you know, you feel you have to overcome that maybe you've struggled against in your first several years there. I assume the tournament you're looking forward to at T-Mobile, but uh, take me into the Mountain West, and there's teams that maybe you say, you know what, we have to overcome them to kind of get our our, uh, our goals met. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of good teams in the Mountain West. Um, I mean, we're just going to pretty much, you know, just take it a game at a time. I feel like there's no, like, exact team that we're just really focused or, like, worried about. You know, we're just going to, go in there and play our game and just taking one game at a time. You have to be looking forward to with as many kids as I assume you know on that team or have played pickup during the uh, summer with UCLA. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, now, yeah, it's definitely going to be a fun game. I mean, uh, all their players are pretty much from Southern California. Mm-hmm. I know all their players. Um, we all grew up with each other, played AAU together. So it's definitely going to be a fun game to play in. 
Well, he is Bryce Hamilton from UNLV basketball. Bryce, we appreciate the time. This Thanks, morning. Bryce. All right. Thank you. I Take appreciate you, yourself. guys. Bryce Kevin Kruger with the same song. That was oh, great. It's a brutal punishment. Can you please turn this off? We get it. We didn't. We're not switching on ball screens well enough. We get the idea. Even if it was your favorite song, Nightmare. Oh, dude. How, what it, are they, two hours into it, that thing? Yeah, something like that. It's usually what it's last. So, man, the same song over and over. Hell, if it's your favorite song, it's probably a worse punishment because you just ruined your favorite song. How do you think Bryce Hamilton does this year? I mean, it's it's so difficult because there's so many new faces and you don't really know what we're going to see. So here's here's the question. We've seen Bryce Hamilton as the leading scorer for this team the last two years. Two years ago was TJ Otzelberger's like one decent season. They didn't make the NCAA tournament. It wasn't good, but it was they finished tied for second in the Mountain West. They've ended the year pretty well. That year, they had Elijah Mitre Long and Amori Hardy as sort of primary ball handlers, two guys that could create their own shot and create shots for others. So it meant Bryce Hamilton, even though he was still taking the most shots, wasn't really, you couldn't really load up to defend Bryce Hamilton, mm-hmm. right? You you had to be worried about Hardy mm-hmm. and Elijah Mitre Long. But then last year, there, there was nothing. There was literally nothing besides Bryce Hamilton in terms of guys that could create their own shots. So you could load up to Bryce Hamilton. Whatever he was going to do, you could decide defensively, well, we're going to stop him. So to me, the key is it's less about Bryce Hamilton. And it's more about, is there a second and third guy on this team? And in the best case scenario, is somebody better than Bryce Hamilton? But is there a second and third guy on this team that can take the defense's attention away? Can Michael Nuga be a guy that creates his own shot and creates shots for others, right? Can Jordan McCabe do that? Or can Donovan Williams do that? Whoever it is, they need probably two other guys. If they can get that, Bryce Hamilton will probably have a fairly efficient season as the leading scorer of this team. If they don't, if Nuga doesn't work out, whatever, if they don't get anybody that's really a good shot creator, then it's probably going to look a lot like last year where Hamilton still gets his shots, still gets his points, but it's not very efficient, and overall the offense gets dragged down because he, of it. He paused on the question about him defensively. <laughs> um, so he knows, and he kind of knows the rap on him defensively. Uh, what do you expect from that if if he's worked on it? I mean, look, they gave him feedback in the league, and he just said, a spot-up shooter because he's not going to he's not going to uh you know he's not going to control the ball in the league he's going to be more of a spot-up shooter uh if and when he gets there but defensively what kind of feedback do you think they gave him if at all I think there's a lot that's just off-ball defense and just sort of awareness of where your man is and what's going on because there's been a lot of times it happened a lot that first year under Otzberger when he first started getting a lot of playing time there were a couple of games where his off-ball defense was it was kind of scary but you're like okay this first time playing he'll get better he still wasn't great last year as an off-ball defender. So that's really, I think, the big thing is just sort of being aware of where his man is and when he needs to close back out to it. That's probably been the biggest thing. On the ball, not that he's like a great on-the-ball defender, but he's he's fine on the ball. When it's just his man one-on-one, it's, it's not like he's some terrible defender. It's just off-ball being in the right position and knowing, oh, when to help and when to not help as much to be able to close out. That's the key. And I'm curious, this more from a team standpoint, what type of defense Kevin Kruger ends up running right, because right. Otzelberger ran the pack line mm-hmm. that like Tony Bennett at Virginia, yep. Steve Fisher at San Diego state ran. I don't have any idea what Kevin Kruger's going to use this year. Like I have no idea if he's just keeping that what Otzelberger did and, and just saying, yep, this cause it's, it's a defense that again, Tony Bennett, Steve Fisher, like guys have been really successful running it. Or if there's going to be more of a change to either something drastic or just some slight changes there. I don't know. And that's, the thing with the pack line defense is it puts you in a lot of off-ball situations where you've got to know, hey, my man is he's ten, he's over there, he's ten, 10 feet 15 away, exactly. feet away, 
but I'm in position to help. And that's, you know, stresses, I guess, what Hamilton was the worst at. So I'm, that's more of a team-wide thing, but I am curious sort of what type of defense they're running. The only year. thing we really know is what kind of music Kevin Krueger likes. <laughs> Will because Smith we, switch. Because we don't... We don't have any idea, and that's and that's what makes it exciting and fascinating to go to these early games. And like you said, how are they going to defend people? How are they going to defend certain situations? What who who is the second secondary scorer? Like you said, the best case scenario, the point you made was, is someone going to be better than Bryce Hamilton? Because if Bryce Hamilton becomes your second option, then you probably really got something going. Right. If if let's just Michael Nuga, because I think he's the one that's got the best shot. If Michael Nuga is the leading scorer on this team. UNLV has to be very good. They might be a Mountain West title contender, right? Like if if that happens, they might be a Mountain West title contender. If you can, if you manage to push Bryce Hamilton down the pecking order, you've got a legitimate shot. Because again, it goes to you need multiple guys that can create their own shot. Last year they had one guy on the entire roster, multiple guys that can create their own shot. If they have that, they've got a chance. And I do, I do believe it. Bryce Hamilton mentioned it there. I do believe they're going to be significantly better defensively. I do too. Like I, I think they are. They are much bigger, much more athletic this year. I think just by default, they're going to be much better defensively. The question is, what do they get offensively? Are there any other guys that can create? And do they have lineups that can defend and shoot? Because they can play big. They can play a lot of tall guys, a lot of guys with long arms and whatever, but not a lot of them are proven shooters. They don't have a ton of proven shooters on this roster. So that'll be the bigger question. A guy like uh, Donovan Williams, who is... Uh, like a, I think he's six six or six seven, something like that. Conceivably, you could play small, play him at power forward, and he could be a good defender there. But he didn't really shoot a lot at Texas. If Donovan Williams is a guy that can knock down threes, that'll go a long way to helping UNLV. So we'll see. There's a lot of question marks, and we'll find out what Gardner Webb is the first game November tenth. That's kind of soon, isn't it? That hey, is close to UNLV. I'm basketball. excited to watch it. Yeah. I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of interest. Not only how Kevin coaches, but how they look on the floor. And like you said, all the things you talked about, uh, just breaking everything down offensively and defensively, I think people are excited. I mean, I think he has them excited. And more than excited, I think he has people fascinated and interested in how they're going to look. Coming up next, we found someone that doesn't like UNLV's slot machine. Is Tyler a know-it-all? Can you prove him wrong? Tweet at Bischoff underscore Tyler and at Ed Graney. Jenkins and Jensen to the left. There comes Jensen in motion. Hand off Williams. Got a hole. 30, 35, 40. He's at the 50. School's out. Charles Williams at the 30, at the 20, at the 10. Touchdown, Rebels. 75 electrifying yards for Charles Williams, and the Rebels have the lead back. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. School's out. School is out. All right, I found it. I found the guy that the one guy that doesn't like UNLV's sideline slot machine. Marcus Arroyo yesterday or two days ago said that some people might think it's dumb. We yelled at him and said, no, no one thinks it's dumb. Well, he was right. Steve Philpott. Is that is that who Arroyo was thinking about? <laughs> that damn Steve, I know he's not gonna like this. Steve Philpott tweeted at me about the sideline slot machine. This is a joke meme, right? Team has time to gamble with their futures, and who cares how foolish they look doing it? Is UNLV encouraging underage gambling now? What Power 5 conference would ever want UNLV to join with this kind kind of stupid short-sighted action? Wow. This has to be trolling, right? <laughs> Did Steve tweet he... this back to you from his lawn? 
<laughs> yes. He did. He was so. actually standing on his lawn with his phone, and he tweeted this back to you. You've got to be he, kidding he me. He almost word for word said what Tyler said no one was saying. Team has to gamble with their futures. So if you've got a kid on there who's, you know, after uh, after spending four years at UNLV is going to head to medical school and become like this great doctor, he's going to look back and say, oh, you know, I gambled with my future standing next to that slot machine on the field <laughs> after we scored a touchdown. What does that mean? I don't know. I have no idea what that – does that mean – I guess does that mean he thinks they're going to get in trouble with the NCAA because they're doing this? What does gambling with their futures mean? I don't know. My favorite part of it, though – is what Power 5 conference would ever want UNLV to join with this (laughs) kind of stupid short-sighted action. I love the hypothetical of, like, the Pac-12 sitting there being like, you know, we should expand. (laughs) You know that UNLV? That's a good program. We got to get UNLV in our conference. They turn on their TV. Did they just pull a lever on a slot machine? Can't have those. Cross them off the list. No chance we're adding UNLV now. So, as Arroyo said, the two people who would not like this are the Pac-12 and Steve Philpott. Apparently. Um, If UNLV was any good at football and they won all the time and they had their medical school and their law school and, you know, the tier academics had risen as they have and you're in an NFL city, then they would be wanted by a Pac-12 or a Big Power 5 and nobody would care if there were 10 slot machines on the field, if they were actually good at football and like they won a lot, nobody would care about that. But since they don't and they aren't, it doesn't mean that that would be ever be a reason, Steve, that the power fives would say we don't want UNLV. I just enjoy the fact that UNLV hasn't won a game, but they somehow got IMG to rig a slot machine to win every yeah. time. And that it's like hey. apparently winning's hard. Oh, Got to make sports center some way. Best, oh, the best joke somebody made on Twitter was, the only way UNLV can win is if they have a slot machine rigged for them to win. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> I love the slot machine. When he said that yesterday, maybe he did know who Steve Philpott was. I did not until I read your tweet. Um, when he said no one's going to like it, I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about, Arroyo, because I think everyone loved it, and it was on ESPN, and everyone thought it was like the greatest thing ever. So I think he's just conditioned to believe Nobody likes anything yeah. about his program. He has to be. Like, I mean, why would you say that? He doesn't talk to anybody, so how would he know what anybody thinks? Yeah. Uh, so just a Steve Philpot update. He has sent three tweets in this month. Uh, one on September 3rd. At least we know UNLV can be competitive at the FCS level. Time to be honest with ourselves. Uh, and he also said, what AD would want to take over UNLV football unless they were ready to retire and wanted to live off UNLV's dime for a few years? I'm getting the feeling that Steve doesn't like UNLV football or that he doesn't think it's any good, just like a kind of a like, guess there after all these tweets, and he might think they're not very good. Yeah. I mean, they're not Steve, very good. you're taking this way too seriously. Listen, listen, be critical of the actual team on the field. They haven't won a game in almost 700 days. They're not good. The slot machine is cool. Yeah. The slot, slot machine is awesome. Fun. It's great. It's one of the best things that, not just in the Arroyo era, the program's ever done, period. Where we got Harvey Hyde, the slot machine, one and two. <laughs>